I remember telling that horse, oh my God, I want to be here too. I don't want to go back to my physical life anymore. And he was like, um, no, you have so much good to do with animals and so much to give to the humanity as well. Even though I was resisting this gift a little bit, I just started receiving answers and just internally knowing what the underlying issue might be. I was actually able to give big epiphanies to the humans, to the owners of the animals, and to improve their quality of life and the harmony with their animals. Hello and welcome to the Work for Women podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Mira Helena Nieminen. Welcome to the show, Mira. Hi, great to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you. Dear listeners, Mira Helena Nieminen is an animal consciousness interpreter and a veterinary physiotherapist holding a Master of Science in Veterinary Physiotherapy from the University of Liverpool. For listeners unfamiliar with animal communication, it refers to intuitive interspecies communication. A real-life Dr. Doolittle Mira is able to intuitively understand the energy that our animal friends are reflecting back to us. Founder of the Animal Consciousness Coaching Method, Mira radiates kindness and compassion towards all creatures, great and small. Her immense love for animals is evident in her work, and I'm excited for her to share her extensive knowledge of our non-human friends with us today. With that being said, Mira... You have a deep understanding of animals from both a scientific and a spiritual perspective. Can you share about how this came to be? Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to discover your ability to connect with animals. Yeah, um, great to share my experience. So you mentioned that I'm able to understand the energy that our animal friends are reflecting back to us. So let's start by defining what energy actually is. So from a purely scientific viewpoint, it is the ability to do work and energy can be potential, kinetic, thermal, electrical, uh, etc. And from a spiritual point of view, it's a non-physical force that flows through us and the whole universe. So even these two definitions are not contradictory. Um, energy is movement. It moves something from A to B, or it turns a liquid into gas or a solid into liquid. So in the same way that spiritual energy is seen as force behind everything, flowing through all that is, um, it is a causative non-physical force and the forms it may exist in um, that I listed are its manifestations, ways to store energy. So that only as a clarification and how I ended up doing what I'm doing currently, um, i.e. interpreting our animal friend's energy mm, around 2015, I guess. I was training as a equine shiatsu practitioner um, where I got to know a colleague of mine in the similar course and she offered to do a Reiki session with me. So during that session, I remember when she placed her hands around my head, something very 
powerful started happening. Like I was already relaxed, but at that point I entered a trance-like state of being, um, like a really, really deep meditation, meditative um, state where I was barely feeling if I was sitting on the chair anymore or laying on the ground. I could barely tell my head from my toe and like very... Yeah, trance-like, I think would be the best word indeed. And I entered um, a dark space that I kind of saw in front of me. I had my eyes closed, so obviously it was dark, but I was like in a dark room. I was really feeling the room around me. And um, I saw a horse that I actually had encountered in this physical life previously that passed away a couple of years ago. And we always had a very, very special connection with that particular animal. And I was in an interesting place in my life those time, a little bit of burnout. I was slightly underweight, highly overachieving in a very negative way. And that feeling of relief that I felt when I saw that horse, when I was in that trans-like state, I remember telling that horse, oh my God, I want to be here too. I don't want to go back to my physical life anymore. And he was like, um, no, you have so much good to do with animals and so much to give to the humanity as well, that trust me, you're gonna experience the same feeling in your physical life. And I remember I started crying so much out of pure unconditional love that when I um, quote woke up from that, yeah, woke up from that state, yeah, I was just crying like crazy. And my colleague told me, wow, there was something really going on when she did that. So yeah, that's really something that turned the things around from um, for me. I realized um weirdness of my overachieving over um, performance and all that and I started noticing that even though I was resisting this gift a little bit um, when I was interacting with humans and animals or humans with animals and they had some problem with them I just started receiving answers and just internally knowing what the underlying issue might be and at some point, I, yeah, I carefully started vocalizing them actually out. And I noticed I was actually able to give big epiphanies to the humans, to the owners of the animals, and to improve their quality of life and the harmony with their animals. So, yeah, I did put some resistance on my path myself quite a bit in the beginning, like imposter syndrome and all that. <laughs> as I think almost everybody knows that is going a spiritual path. But yeah, I do feel it's my biggest calling. It is something that is my way of helping people and animals the best way I can. That's such a beautiful story. And it sounds like such a profoundly transformative experience. And these are typically not easy to put into words. So, you know, thank you for attempting to, to put that into words for us. So you get these intuitive insights um, from animals, and I, I I know you you also define your gift as as uh, that of clear cognizance. Um, can you describe to us um, what it means and how it 
feels like again I know it's difficult to put into words but just to give us an an idea how it feels like to just know things yeah so at a later point of this podcast we're going to dig more deeply into what claircognizance actually might be from the scientific perspective but how I see it it is channeling um, the current energy the current emotion of an object or an animal or a human of any being uh, verbalizing it and shedding or um, giving some clarity to them on that to help them understand themselves I'm not a psychic or I don't like to name myself as such because I'm seeing um, or what I see as a problem in naming oneself as a psychic is that there are always hundreds if not millions of possible different manifestations or outcomes of the current energy so you just pick up most likely the one that is vibrating the most or mm, most powerfully at the moment which is the most likely to manifest indeed but it doesn't have to be that and if it's an outcome that you don't want to manifest or play out in such an um obvious way in the reality you can always change what you're creating or what you're manifesting so that's why if you go um, to a psychic with a bad mood they're going to tell you oh you're gonna live horrible things and then you start believing it <laughs> in it even more and start creating exactly that if you go to a psychic having a great mood they are gonna tell you you're gonna win the lottery or whatever and then you start believing that and it might actually happen so uh, yeah, I am shedding light into one's emotions and the current situation, but I'm not ever going to say that this is what's going to manifest and this is what you're going to live in your future because it can change in five seconds if you don't like what I said. So mm. yeah, that's how I utilize this. Um, yeah, gifts. It is something that anybody could do. <laughs> To an extent, one is able to quiet their minds. Yeah, it is it is channeling of energy and of superpositions that we're going to define later as well. So we're we're gonna go into that from a scientific uh from a potential scientific view in just a second because I'm sure our listeners are like, ooh, I do wanna hear, I do wanna hear that side of things as well. Uh but just to recap um on how you were describing um your gift so um so what i hear is you are channeling you're tuning into the energy that is present in the way that you defined it at the very beginning uh, mm -hmm. you interpret it um and based on that interpretation you see what is likely to occur uh but that can still be changed so it's not so so we we don't live in this like deterministic type of world uh we can still change things and yeah yeah so i think to wrap it up it is my absolute mission it is the greatest mission behind my work to lead people and animals as well but animals are actually pretty good at it but mostly humans back to their own power and realizing how much influence their own uh, management of their own vibration slash emotions actually has how much impact it has on their reality so that is my mission. I'm never the one that comes to tell you what you should do or who you are or what's going to happen. I'm the one that leads you to your own power. 
I was about to say that sounds very empowering um, and very optimistic. And and I I, I love your mission and um, in keeping with our promise to to attempt um, explaining your abilities from a scientific perspective. Um, I know that as part of your professional journey, um, you sought to link your intuitive understanding about animal and human consciousness um, to two theories. So one of them is a famous theory of consciousness uh, called the orchestrated objective reduction theory, um, also known as the ORC-OR theory. Um, uh, here, uh, I'm going to give our listeners some context. So Mira's going to tell you more about the theory, but just to, to, to set the ground um, to understand what we're going to talk about because it's quite complex. Uh, so uh, this theory uh, is advanced by the Nobel laureate in physics, Sir Roger Penrose and by anesthesiologist uh, Dr. Stuart Hameroff. And basically it proposes that consciousness originates from quantum computations that occur in microtubules, so these structures inside brain neurons. Um, now, um, Mira and I felt that it was important to clarify uh, she's not a quantum physicist. I'm not a quantum physicist, um, but that you know her knowledge of this theory and how it might help explain animal and human consciousness comes from reading the relevant academic literature, and it was driven by her desire to explain her intuitive abilities through a scientific lens, which which I which I really commend. I think it's such such a great attempt, you know, at linking science um, and spirituality, which we're all about here. And um, the second theory that Mira explored um, is Dr. Rupert Sheldrake's theory of morphic resonance. Uh, so this is a proposed process through which self-organizing systems could inherit the memory from previous similar systems. So this, this would transcend um, space and time. Um, and for listeners unfamiliar with Dr. Sheldrake, um, he's a biologist and author of more than 90 scientific papers uh, and nine books, co-author of six books, and alumnus of Cambridge and Harvard universities. Um, okay, so after all that extensive <laughs> explanation, uh, I'm going to let Mira follow up with with, uh, with an even more extensive one. So um, Mira, could, could you take it from here and share more about the morphic resonance theory or COAR and how you think they might link to your ability to communicate with animals? Yeah, so um, I think the logical order is to start out with the morphic resonance theory of Robert Sheldrake. So the starting point is to opening oneself to the idea that consciousness might not be located only inside the brain. So um, the morphic resonance theory, I think in the most plain terms, could be explained as causative information transcending space and time um, through morphic fields that are force fields formed and organized by the transmission of this information uh, from one conscious system or consciousness uh, to a subsequent similar structures of conscious activity slash the receiver uh, a being that possesses a consciousness. Uh, so to speak, we are talking about uh, collective memory, uh, nonverbal inheritance of a memory by similar systems. So we are not um, giving information verbally to someone, but they are, let's say, channeling or picking it up from the morphic fields 
from the non-physical energy fields and that way the memory or the information is um, transmitted to similar beings so one awesome example of or potential example of the morphic resonance theory is how the ancient Egyptians had the god of death Anubis and at the same time the Aztecs had a god called Xolov that actually looks exactly like Anubis a black um, dog-headed man which also was a god of death not to mention the resemblance of um, the Egyptian pyramids and the Aztec uh, temples which I think is mind-blowing how all that happened pretty much at the same time in totally different continents even. I think here the question is what makes consecutive systems similar enough to be able to inherit the memory? Is it just the same species? Like can a dolphin inherit from a whale or the other way around? Uh, can any organism possessing a consciousness, which means any organism with a cytoskeletal network, uh, inherit the memory? So um, yeah, does the morphic resonance cover this enough? Um, I have not read all of his books, uh, not read all of his papers, so it might as well be that there is an explanation to this. I have just personally never come across with that. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's awesome that you know you, you are sharing from um this midpoint, you know, while you're still on the journey of figuring it out. Um, because I think we need more of that transparency and saying, look, this is where I'm at, this is what I know, this is what I don't know. Um, and I have this hypothesis about how things might work. It might be true, it might not be, but we're giving it a shot, you know, and we're seeing what's get what's supported by data and what's not eventually. What I am thinking at the moment, it might be that if the information is relevant to the subsequent receiver of the information, there might be the energy of attention that makes the non-physical picking up of the information possible. So that's where the org OR um, steps into the picture. Um, so I think the org OR explains more how that non-physical information is actually picked up and utilized by the subsequent receiver of the memory or the information and how it can transcend interspecies boundaries potentially. So um, yeah, as Christina said, the information about our environment is processed by quantum computations in microtubules inside our brain neurons. So by the virtue of this information, superpositions of an outcome uh, are processed in the microtubules and superpositions are uh, virtual mini realities that have not manifested yet, but they possess the possibility of becoming the reality for the um, observer or the receiver of the information from the environment. These superpositions are formed inside the brain neurons. And yeah, so there's actually a fancy mathematical formula at which point the other superpositions collapse and the one, the most likely reality is picked up by the one that is perceiving the reality. 
So as an example of this very complicated theory is the tree falling in a forest example. Like if a tree falls down in a forest and there is nobody to hear it, is there actually sound coming from it? And according to this theory, the answer is no, because the vibration that comes from the process of tree falling down needs an ear to translate that vibration into sound. That is a very clear example of this, um, of this theory. So that's also how we create our reality too. And um, when we don't do it deliberately, we basically create more of the same because we are so used to observing things the way we are observing them. So that also um, scratches the surface of manifestation. So I think one who picks the energy up needs to be vibrating at the same level as the consciousness matrix um, the information is picked up from um, because microtubules where the processes are taking place in are dynamic and vibrate at different frequencies and the ability to inherit the memory i.e embody telepathic or telepathic light abilities might well be due to a frequency the microtubules are vibrating at or the way they are tuned but again this is merely a postulation so this is this is my scientific idea based on my current knowledge on all this yeah like i again i commend you for um you know for for explaining that um on the show like for our listeners um both theories are very difficult to do justice in uh in a podcast episode much less in a question or two and um so we're gonna put resources uh to both theories um in uh, the show description um and um of course you are at liberty to agree or disagree with uh with what we put forward but you know if these theories came on your radar and you're like oh that's actually you know that's interesting i want to learn more about that maybe develop my own ideas as well like you are you're more than welcome to and and uh we definitely welcome that um so Mira, for first of all, my head spins. Like you know, I was preparing for this episode, and I was, I was, I was looking through both theories, and I, Oracle are in particular, it's very, very difficult um, to grasp, especially if you don't have the required background, and it does bring in um, quite, quite a lot of things. And because I don't have the technical expertise to to actually to actually assess the theories, like what I would like to share from my side is is the human side of things, um, and how I, how I kind of reacted to that. Uh, because I thought, oh, this is, first of all, I never saw, I, I tried to find someone to, attempting to link the two. As of yet, I haven't found anyone. There there might be someone, but you're the first person that I hear attempting to to link the two theories that have morphic resonance and or coar. Um, what I found interesting was that tangentially in reading about both theories, both had, were had been associated, uh, I'm not sure if by the original authors of, or by the people going through them, with the idea of collective unconscious of Carl Gustav Jung's. And I thought that was that was quite interesting um, in in terms of us, you know, in terms of a scientific backing to what might be um, a collective unconscious and how that might work. So let me see if I if I if I follow how these to um, how you believe these two theories connect to explain your ability. So you believe, so we start with the, we start with the morphic fields um, and you postulate that um, basically 
the theory says if two self-organizing systems are similar enough, they can pass information between them across uh, space and time. And you say, well, maybe it's not just human to human, maybe human to animal can be similar enough to actually have that information uh, be passed on from one system to another. Um, so then do you follow up with ORCOR as a mechanism through which info from the morphic field is picked up? Like, what is the connection there? Yeah, exactly how you how you said it. Like the morphic resonance explains how similar systems can pick up um, information from the morphic fields, and ORC OR potentially explains how it can transcend um, interspecies boundaries as well, because okay. of the dynamic nature of the microtubules and mm. the attention and the deliberateness <laughs> of the perceiver of the reality as to you can choose what you tune into by quieting your conscious cognitive mind a little bit. Mm -hmm. You can be influenced by other morphic fields as well as only the ones uh, of your similar species, potentially. I think to me that sounds like, yeah, by, by disquieting, you are picking up the info that's there that's potentially accessible to everyone, but you're more fine-tuned to it or you have more openness to it um somehow i think that that's still the unknown right and how and how you you formulated this and yeah like it you what you say you know it's it's also it reminds me of so um again the orco art theory is incredibly complex and i don't claim to do to do it justice i'm i am doing my best however but i know that one implication of it um is that our experience of consciousness our day-to-day -day experience of consciousness is actually um, generated through this ORCOR system by bringing together more individual, like proto-conscious qualia, you know, of experience. And I, I almost like you know, musical notes creating music. Uh, so in this sense, reality is more like well, consciousness actually is more like a, you know, like you watch a movie but you don't see the individual frames. Um, and in reading about this theory, I found it interesting that there are uh, meditation practitioners, uh, Buddhist practitioners, who did notice actually each moment is kind of like, that's not the word they used, frame, but kind of like this singular moment, it comes and goes, it's actually, you know, quite simple, and it just like, you know, they follow on, on you know, one, one after the other, or like, you know, like, well, more like an orchestra, I guess, according to this theory, but I found it interesting I don't know. I am reminded of that because you talk about how, you know, you're more fine to this information that's already there, you know? So like if reality is like these frame, 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 we, we don't see these frames, but maybe what you perceive mm -hmm. is akin to these frames. It is reality. It is what's out there. It's just, we don't see the finer points of it. What do you think? Yeah, exactly. Like you really made good sense out of it because it is, it is a texture. It is the smells, the lights, all that, how they orchestrate together how we create the perception of the whole reality. It's not just, it is not just one smell, one texture, one something that don't fit together. Like my table is solid and cold. It's not solid and warm or soft and like, you get what I'm saying? So yeah, that's a very, very good point. Thank you. Yeah, well, well, th 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 thank you for this conversation. Like I, I, I love how we're, we're, <laughs> we're building on top of these ideas and um, I think also for our listeners, it would be important to, to understand where, um, 
uh, this Orco art theory is placed because on this podcast, uh, we had quite a few guests who come from the assumption that consciousness is a fundamental feature of reality that's independent of the brain. And that's one of the three main schools of thought on what consciousness is. So like the the dominant one at the moment uh, in, in scientific thinking is the materialist one. So, you know, consciousness is like this phenomenon generated by the brain. It dies with the brain. Uh, it confers like it, it confers evolutionary advantages basically that's how it came to be from this increasing complexity um of 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 nervous systems and the second one is the one that i just mentioned consciousness is this transcendent thing independent from the brain it always was there and in 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 at least one conceptualization you know the brain is more like an antenna picking it up um orco war is kind of i find i found it interesting because it's kind of neither basically it says that there's like these very basic units of consciousness like proto consciousness qualia they if my understanding is correct they kind of occur anyway due to physical processes mm -hmm. but then um in microtubules um basically what happens is that they they these proto moments like basically the, the, the physical processes happen at the quantum level this proto proto consciousness quality yeah, like occurs uh like the frame and then these like the the musical note and then these are orchestrated into an experience of consciousness um and that's kind of neither the first one nor the second theory it's kind of like it's mm -hmm. it's its own third thing do you have like what does this resonate with you or do you feel like you kind of which which side of the argument do you feel you stand <laughs> and based on your experiences based on my experiences it is interesting because for example the sun and this is directly an example from Robert Seltrack it's a self-organizing system that acts yeah more or less logically let's say it manages itself its temperature its behavior but it's still I think we all agree that it she doesn't own a brain per se yet still we could argue whether it's conscious or not so I think um yeah I think consciousness exists more or less in the morphic fields and behind the universe as I defined uh, spiritual energy in the beginning I think it exists in the form of that energy potentially but the ability to utilize it um deliberately requires a cytoskeleton to use those quantum computations in the microtubules but whether yeah whether the ability to deliberately use or utilize consciousness makes consciousness existent or non-existent if it's not utilized by a perceiver it's yeah it's complicated it's complicated i don't know <laughs> It is incredibly complicated, and you know, I wish I wish I heard more. I don't know, <laughs> because because there are still many things we do not know yet, and uh, I know I'm kind of pushing the boundaries um, of this conversation. But I think it's it's really interesting to bring up, and I think for the listeners as well to to see, you know, like let's have more of these conversations, and and yes, let's ground them in science, and let's make sure we understand the theories, and you know, if if we if we do notice inconsistencies, you know, let's you know. <laughs> let's let's get on them um but yeah I thank you so much Mira like I know this 
I, I'm very appreciative of you having come up with this potential explanation. Well, first of all, looking into scientific explanations for your ability, like um, mapping it potentially to these theories uh, that, you know, uh, attempt to to explain consciousness or, you know, how self-organizing systems pass uh, information from one another. And I think something that um, I I would like also to to talk with you about now is kind of the human resistance to, to bringing spirituality and scientific concepts, because I noticed, for example, you use the concept of raising one's vibration, and this is a popular phrase in New Age belief. Everyone knows this phrase. But I feel like, you know, when when you say to someone who might be more skeptical, you know, of, of, uh, of the spiritual side of things, they kind of like close down and you know, any attempts to maybe link it to a scientific explanation, if, if it is indeed a true concept, like, so you would, would you relate the idea of raising one's vibration, like, like you said, to the idea of the microtubules vibrating, or do you feel there's something else there you want to map it to at this point? Yeah, scientifically, I would relate it to the vibration or the frequency of the microtubules. Um, spiritually, I would relate it to the ability of finding one's cognitive mind, just mind, and being able to receive, because, and now I'm linking this back to the theory of morphic resonance a little bit, when we have a question, when we have something that is relevant to us, we create new skills, new abilities, or new information to answer that newborn need in us. That's how evolution basically happens. Mm. and the faster you are able to non-physically receive that information has to do with the level of your vibration but again i'm just um putting together scientific and spiritual ideas of how this happens yeah and i i i think um i'm always an, an advocate of taking concepts from uh spiritual knowledge uh and traditions and testing them scientifically you know and actually see mm. if the predictions hold and all of that so i'm i'm not an advocate of oh i heard this word and it's it sounds uh you know that derogatory word like woo woo so like you know we don't touch this no we do and we look at it and we see if it's a if it's a reality or not in in line with this i wanted to also ask you like do you feel because you 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 are on both sides um of understanding you have your direct experiential understanding your intuitive understanding of animals you know which you have direct access to uh, and you have the scientific understanding which is a you know it's indirect access to uh, to um to how this ability might work but you understand both sides um are there ever contradictions between them like do you experience something that you feel science doesn't hold or vice versa in the beginning, there was even more um, because I did follow a lot of animal communicators that had been doing this for a longer period of time. And some concepts were radical and radically presented as truths and with little, let's say, justifications of what is truly happening and perhaps even people um claiming themselves as psychics that basically tell as i presented in the beginning what is going to happen and how things are period no neither no need for further explanations so that's where i kind of felt the resonance to follow the classical animal communicator path slash the fully spiritual path but my science side was not happy with that mm. so that's where the conflict was the biggest 
So when I um, started exploring more and I came across with the concept of superpositions and ability to channel multiple possible outcomes by the virtue of what is currently happening in the energy, I kind of understood what was going on and why my scientific um, side was not fully agreed with some of the spiritual practitioners. So now, yeah, even though there is still limited acknowledgement and a lot of critical discussion to the theories of morphic resonance and ORC OR, there is up to my knowledge no theory that would, on the other hand, override or invalidate those theories. Um, so those two theories highly support my current intuitive understanding of the situation, of what is going on hmm. uh, and the accuracy that has obviously been happening between uh, or in my readings between me and my clients. Um, yeah, so there's nothing that would contradict it. So that's how the reconciliation more or less works at the moment. But on the other hand, no, there is no sufficient evidence to say it is like this. But this is also a, uh, this is also something that I do claim on my website. And I make the disclaimer, so to speak, that this is no, this is not an evidence-based thing to start with. Mm. And um, um, again, I, I mean, I, I commend you on your integrity, you know, and I think your scientific spirit, you know, comes through and how you speak and, you know, how how you approach um, understanding your abilities and how you approach debating these topics. So I think um, I think that's wonderful. Um, and I think our listeners are also curious to hear some stories. So I want to take it a little bit to the practicals. Can you give us an example of um, when you read for animals? Like, how does it actually look like? Let's say if someone comes to you with their pet, like, can you give us an example from your experience? I think the most powerful one was a client who shared a trauma with dogs that he's been having. Uh, I don't want to go into too much details of the problem for the privacy of my client, but yeah, there was a trauma going on and this one was a very spontaneous one. I didn't do any particular preparations or anything. He came with the, oh, you do this. I have this question. So what do you think? And I was like, oh, this comes fast. And in the same moment, the answer was more or less there. I started interpreting what I was this is the point that I cannot justify getting from somewhere <laughs> so I think energetically I feel that this is happening uh, in my head I saw him in an interaction with dogs and I could see and feel how his own vibration and energy was interacting with the animals in that moment and how it influenced those animals and how those animals saw that vibration and understood that because animals don't understand verbal communication they understand vibration that's how they communicate and that's how they work so I told if this or I asked if this could be something that resonates with him and he was mind blown he was oh yeah yeah I mean that's exactly what has been going on with me and it, it was not only this situation what always is the case it is something that you carry with you and you take with yourself even like regardless if there is interaction with other beings or not you take yourself with you mm -hmm. so it really touched him in a deeper level uh, it was something that he had been carrying with him since 
early years and we even came to the question what he actually really wants to do in his life and he ended up writing also some scientific texts about this and it was a very very nurturing um discussion on both ends so that's one one example that was particularly successful successful because we ended up resolving some very very long-term issues and deeper questions with him thank you for sharing this um and you know this brings me this brings me to my next question why are animals here like we in spirituality we often assume a greater purpose to human lives like do animals also have a greater purpose to their lives um yeah funnily enough i've been talking about the concept of purpose with a good friend of mine lately a lot uh, my current understanding is that through the evolution and expansion of consciousness and the universe there for sure is some degree of intending to experience certain things uh, while in a physical body before we incarnate like intentions that we um, said before incarnation that we might call as purpose or destiny or whatever but the juicy part is that the conscious evolution doesn't end after incarnation so in other words you continue to expand while in your physical body and redefine things you'd like to discover and experience and learn from so you get to redefine your purpose purpose every day all over again so the same applies generally to animals although they are um less active let's say and less powerful in desiring for new manifestations because they are way more unconditional uh, unconditional than we humans are so basically if we want to present this in a yin yang kind of way we humans represent the power of asking for something better all the time more or less we are always complaining we always want something more <laughs> we all know that um yeah so we are power powerfully asking all the time and we're actually summoning a lot of energy and a lot of potential for evolution because we're asking so much all the time but we have not necessarily yet quite claimed the mastership of the allowing and receiving part of a peaceful unconditional life some people certainly have but i dare to claim that like 99% of the people that are on our planet do could do a bit better on it <laughs> to be very <laughs> trying to be friendly here um yeah so this is a global phenomenon um yeah so the purpose of each species having incarnated the way uh, they have certainly serves a great balance animals teach us their individual as well as species specific wisdoms uh, but also as animal kingdom they teach us unconditionally and allowing they are masters in being happy anyway like look at your cat chilling on the couch <laughs> he won't care they're just happy like they don't need something better all the time like okay maybe cats sometimes do if the if the feed is not the one of actual preference but you get what i'm saying it's the it's a phenomena um yeah so they teach us unconditionality uh dogs for example are the servants that reflect your vibrational discord through anything and everything for you to learn from 
Whereas cats are a species that simply decide to leave to higher vibing places if they don't like something, for example. Like if there is continuous discord at somebody's home, they might actually just go somewhere else. But dogs, for example, they like picking up or like, but they tend to pick up diseases, problems, whatever, because they are the servants. They just really show what is going on and they don't really leave all that um, easily, even though it might sometimes even be there or could be for their highest good. So yeah, both very important teachers to learn about your own vibration and setting healthy boundaries as well. I hear the part about cats leaving the hanging <laughs> setting boundaries. I think uh, all listeners who are also following me on Instagram, like they know from my stories, I'm like a tad obsessed with cats, especially with mine. Um, I have very appropriate background for this thing as well. You can see the cats in the background. Um, I, uh, I, I, which also makes me wonder, um, in your experience, like are some animals easier to communicate with than others? Mm, yeah I'm coming back to the point of the relevancy of the interaction and the information as I shared briefly when I outlined uh, the theory of ORC OR and the ability of picking up the information from the morphic fields so animals who have chosen to co-create with humans have the attention to us and interesting in interacting with us already so that's why I believe it's generally easier to connect with the wisdom and teachings of animal friends in the households of humans. Um, however, just like our ancestors understood already, there is magnificent wisdom about ourselves, our roots and our higher capabilities held by wild animals and nature. So I truly believe it is possible to connect with and understand these less domesticated organisms as well, to learn and to read them and to work in harmony with them and through that understand how they are guiding one on their path. Um, <clears throat> one example of this is the idea of spirit animals, totem animals and power animals that our ancestors have used in asking for guidance on their path, for example. So question wrap up. Yes, generally speaking, the wisdom of domesticated animals might be more accessible due to their focus and genuine interest in us. Wild animals might require a bit more unconditioning. And lastly, some species might be easier to channel to some than to others based on their, um, let's name them totem animals and or current power power or spirit animals which are different concepts per se so for example you have you might have always felt that you have a special connection with a certain species that might as well be your um something that our ancestors would have named your totem animal so it might be you are able to channel that species more easily than some other species so uh, there are spirit animals, totem animals, and the third one was? Uh, the third one is power animal. And power animals. So so what are the core differences? Yeah, so this is, um, this is not my theory, um, but it is an ancestral inherited idea. So totem animal basically represents your 
vibrational and soul blueprint it is something that accompanies you in the level of spirit for your whole life which is an individual totem animal a group totem animal is something um, that you have in common with your tribe or with your family your bloodline whatever but serves the same purpose something that represent represents the soul blueprint and never leaves it's permanent uh, power animal is something that you summon in certain crossroads of life for example you feel that the energy of this animal would really, really help me right now such as for example rabbit make rabbit um, rabbit decisions um, take turns uh, fastly to make fast decisions in life uh, so you kind of consciously summon their energy so you decide on them Spirit animal is an animal guide that appears to you just like a totem animal does, but it accompanies you just for a predefined period of life to guide you forwards in your life. It kind of represents what you actually need in that moment. Mm. So these are um, just ways that our ancestors have. Um, yeah, certain tribes have operated in life i don't fully understand everything necessarily but it is something that why not utilize every now and then at least it's great fun yeah and it, it makes me wonder how it would work and you know in wondering that it it reminds me like perhaps it could be tied to the oracle art theory so for context this theory has been in development for 30 years and you know it it has been changed you know a long time based on the, the, the data that was collected what was supported what was not supported and uh sir roger penrose um who developed the theory with uh, with dr stuart hammeroff um at least at one point i'm not sure if 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 he still stands by that though he might um basically was postulating that the um, quantum processes in the microtubules like the outcome is partially influenced by information well by, by the information coming from like this very base level of reality mm -hmm. but he was equating it at least at the time with with this pl platonic level of reality uh like you know pure ideas pure mathematics um ethics aesthetics uh you know morality um and i thought it was interesting when you talk for example about spirit animals because you might say well how do i how can i tune into the idea of an animal but perhaps you know if there is such a world of ideas like of information that we can tune into via potentially this process then that would make more sense i would say do you have any thoughts on that yeah no that sounds good and definitely the idea of spirit animals does resonate the most with me indeed and I do think about my experience with a one individual horse, but I'm still postulating if it has more to do with the one individual that just happened to be a horse in this moment. Could it have been a dog also? Like, because the spirit animal more precisely refers to the whole species as your spirit animals. So, mm. But yeah, what you said makes sense. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you for explaining these three terms to us because I, I've often heard them, but I don't think I've ever actually stopped to see, okay, but what is what is the actual difference um, between the three? And something that you mentioned was that um, 
uh, you presume that pets might be easier to communicate with. And I think at this point, our, all our listeners who have pets, myself included, <laughs> you know, like pricked, pricked up their ears, you know, they're like, okay, you know, can I communicate with my pet? Is this something that everyone can do? Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, absolutely. Because it only, it, it is not a gift that is somehow pre-given to you before incarnation. Like I am totally anti-past life karma <laughs> personally. So yes, it is a matter, matter of um, unconditioning, rediscovering and unfolding. Is there something that we can do in practical terms to aid that process? Meditation, training your intuition, uh, recalling moments where you have had an inner gut feeling about something being right or wrong and cultivating and nourishing that feeling because that is how your animal connects with you that's awesome and thank you and i i feel many times i hear the um meditation you know as an answer to a lot of my spiritual questions and it's always like to someone who is who is relatively restless like me it's like ah oh, meditation but you know <laughs> it is it is a lesson it is a lesson <laughs> it is like can, can you please say something else than meditation because i really don't <laughs> want to do it oh, okay <laughs> i know uh well i feel uh slightly off topic perhaps here but maybe maybe on topic as well like for me i discovered meditation doesn't have to be for my for me at least sitting down and like you know like emptying my mind you know like for me i i meditate when i dance for example yeah yeah it, it's totally true and it's perfect that you made that point out because for example i have received channelings while doing the dishes or something i think this concept is actually from the book hands on healing but i would need to recheck who wrote that but um yeah book hands on healing uh, in that one, it was actually explained how in while you're doing these casual activities, just like cleaning, dancing, doing the dishes, whatever, you are actually in a more receptive state because or a state because you are not putting yourself under the pressure of receiving something. You're not trying too hard, where you actually have a higher risk of introducing your own thoughts or your desired um conditional outcome to the equation so yeah it's a great point that you made i think yeah those casual activities or activities that you enjoy where you kind of um yeah you quiet your mind uh like without trying to quiet your mind so you are totally free of pressure and yeah makes you more capable of meditating being in the moment yeah like our animal friends <laughs> are so exactly, good at exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally they're masters in that so uh mira there uh there were a couple of points at which you mentioned that certain myths about animals for example when you were following animal communicators in the beginning and they were saying things you didn't quite resonate with scientifically um in your view uh what are the biggest spiritual myths about animals yeah, so what I encounter a lot is the human need for superiority over other beings and the human need for entitlement and fixing something, uh, especially something that they perceive as minor to them uh, or us. Um, so we humans like to feel as if our animal companions come to our lives full of some sort of 
past life karma or drama yeah karma drama trauma if they have some problems and this is the standpoint of many uh, spiritual people uh, they kind of put excessive uh, fault on their animals so yeah and then they have the human need to fix this past lives don't work in a way that is so black and white like that i outlined this in one of the previous questions already by saying that there certainly through conscious evolution is something that you have decided you want to experience here on this planet earth but you don't remember or carry on the contrasts the shadows of past lives according to my current understanding with you like that so i do believe that animals also do forget their past lives in a sense that they don't carry it around with them and that we humans need to fix that in this way i do think animals actually are way more teachers to us humans in the allowing of more love and unconditionally unconditionality into our lives like i said so i think humans could open themselves up for learning from animals a bit more rather than trying to fix them um, from a spiritual point of view as well do humans ever come back as far as reincarnation goes do humans ever come back as animals or vice versa mm, i think interspecies boundaries crossing reincarnations might not be necessary because when you make your transition you have access to the information um that you are seek that you would seek from a human perspective if you said that i need to incarnate as an animal in the next life if you get what i'm saying so um yeah those kind of reincarnations might indeed be unnecessary but i'm not sure it would be great to um, ask this from somebody who actually remembers or claims to remember or indeed remembers their um, past lives a person who might have more um, understanding on actual past lives or um, life after death or reincarnations it would be great that's something that is absolutely not my specialty so i have very little to comment on that it would be interesting to know more about though yeah i i ha- i had to ask i was so curious um, <laughs> mira for anyone curious to learn more about what you shared today um could you recommend some resources for our listeners you mentioned the title of a book earlier anything else um yeah i would definitely encourage to visit robert sheltrake's website which is robertsheltrake.com and uh, this is for way 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 more detailed explanation on the morphic resonance theory um i am a big fan of his material then i would also love to recommend abraham hicks um which can easily be found on youtube abraham is a non-physical collective that is channeled by esther hicks and i think they have such an amazing practical a bit sassy <laughs> and definitely modern way of explaining 
um, the art of channeling and law of attraction that for a purely as a purely spiritual resource i would love to recommend abraham Hicks on youtube awesome i'd like us now to go a little bit well, a little bit further into the future so if uh you imagine that it's 50 years from now soon <laughs> what advancements <laughs> do you hope that will make in understanding animals i think or i hope that by that time we will on one hand have acknowledged their own kind of intelligence the intelligence of animals uh, in a deep respectful uh, respectful way and on the other hand i hope we have let go of humanizing their cognitive side of their minds as to uh, my dog is doing this because this and that and straight out emotions that they don't experience um, in a cognitive way or process them in the cognitive way we humans do so that would highly increase the harmony between humans and animals that's beautiful Mira if you could be remembered for just one thing what would you like that thing to be um yeah I definitely said that earlier again um but I hope I could be remembered as a person who empowers and encourages the use of one's own own power and energy and that is not asked for black and white answers because you always have the potential of changing the outcome. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I, am a, I am a fan of I am a fan of that mission. And if our listeners remember just one thing from what you shared today, what should that thing be? Um, yeah, animals shouldn't be considered minor in their intelligence just because we humans define intelligence differently than what we are used to, uh, i.e. only in cognitive terms, decision-making, logical, A to B thinking. And yeah, I would love to make it my key point that animals are teaching us non-physical or non-cognitive infinite intelligence and letting the life force the spiritual energy uh flowing as well that's beautiful and it makes me think that we still struggle even with other humans to appreciate various types of intelligence we put certain types of intelligence on a pedestal and look down yeah. on others. So this lesson from animals is also going to help us uh, treating ourselves and other humans better as far as how we conceptualize intelligence, I think. So yet another gift that um, that they bring to us. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And um, Mira, is there anything that I haven't asked you today that you would like to share with us? Hmm, that was pretty comprehensive to say the least so <laughs> at this moment no I don't think I have anything more to share we actually even discovered some new um, points of view between each other in this discussion so I think that was awesome uh, yeah need some time to digest all this as well it was really awesome and and I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, and lastly, where can our listeners find you if they want to see more of your work? 
My website is mirahelena.com. Uh, .net, actually, yeah, <laughs> mirahelena.net. You can stay tuned via that address. Awesome. Mira, this was such an awesome conversation, and I so appreciated our time and your willingness to to ex not only share about um, your abilities and, like, you know, um, in such a beautiful, open, and even vul vulnerable way, uh, but also attempt to bridge it to current scientific theories and um, be very clear on the fact that this is a work in progress and be so brave and daring in presenting this, these ideas and even brainstorming uh, live with me on what, what some of them might mean. So thank you so, so much for that. And um, dear listeners, as you've already seen, this uh, this was an absolute treat of an episode and especially if you have pets i hope you have a lot of points to take home with you thank you christina it was a great experience thank you so much for the invitation yeah i truly enjoyed it